John's epistle has often been characterized as one that helps believers build confidence. Like legs of a tripod, he does this with three pillars. First, he gives us God's promises. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second, he exhorts us to a rightful response of walking in the light. As we walk in the light and carry out his commandments, we gain confidence in him. And at the end of chapter 3, he gives us the third pillar. In chapter 3, verse 24, John writes that we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our salvation and helps the believer persevere to the end. We live in a spiritual world, but not every spirit is the spirit of truth. John says that there is a spirit of truth and there is the spirit of error. Not only must we learn to distinguish them, but as Christians, we must prevail over the false spirits. My aim is to help you to do just that this morning, and in so doing, bolster your confidence in him. Let us consider three points this morning as we look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. First, we'll learn that we must not believe every spirit. We must not believe every spirit. Second, we must test the spirits. We'll look at John's tests, the two tests that he gives, the Christological test and the resonance test. We must not test, sorry, we must test the spirits. And third, we must prevail over false spirits. Third, we must prevail over false spirits. So let's dive in. We must not believe every spirit. When someone claims to speak under spiritual inspiration, telling them how to flourish as a human being, they are in fact prophesying in the technical sense. After all, a prophet is but the mouthpiece of some spirit. When I preach, for instance, I am not merely giving a speech. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, I am declaring the truth about Jesus to all who will hear. And this message is not merely one that I have labored over in my intellect. But as Christians, we believe that it is the Holy Spirit who has given me insight, who has brought me to faith thus far in Jesus, who has brought to remembrance his word, which is now recorded in scripture, and who has helped me and guided me to say exactly what he would want to be said as I consider the people whom I am shepherding. I am speaking not just as Jonathan but as one who claims to be under spiritual inspiration, exhorting you, the listener, how best to flourish as a human being. But I am not unique. Christians or not, we regularly speak into people's lives, in our relationships, and we listen to others as we we seek to carry on life. What comes out of our mouths, in other words, are not just a result of neurons firing and cords vocalizing. Rather, it is an outpouring of our heart, which is either indwelled with the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, or the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of error. True prophets are the mouthpiece of the spirit of God, and false prophets are the mouthpiece of the spirit of the Antichrist. Following and believing the wrong one can have disastrous consequences. Earlier this year, for example, adherents of a certain QAnon conspiracy theory, unable to discern the spirit of error, 
helped to propel the first breach of the U.S. Capitol since the War of 1812, resulting in the deaths of five people and severely undermining the stability of a nation. Just a few days ago in Atlanta, a man unable to discern the error of the spirit he followed, uh, that he followed gunned down employees at a, a business in Atlanta, killing many. Here's a story much closer to home. Years ago, the precursor to Christ City Kits called The Bridge met in a ground-level space at the Museum of Vancouver. And during this time, much to our dismay, another group met in the space adjacent to us. They were called the Spiritual Center for Dynamic Living. Run by an ex-Catholic priest who had married an ex-nun, they were, to say the least, uh, an interesting group. They believed, amongst other things, that the unerring secret to true human flourishing is, and I quote, self-knowledge and self-mastery. Their focus on personal and spiritual development merges the scientific findings of modern thinking with ancient wisdom and spiritual practice. This integration involves releasing the mental and emotional conditioning that limits us and the convergence of the soul with the human personality to restore balance, well-being, and a sense of one's true self, with a capital S. In this passage, John is telling us not to believe every spirit. Some spirits are liars, and while following them seems good, every false spirit will lead you to certain death. Some do so violently, say by inciting murder. Others simply through the slow poison of bad doctrine. But make no mistake, their way leads to death. Do not believe every spirit. But this passage is not just about false spirits. It is also about believing the true spirit. So let me tell you about him. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples in John 14, 18, that he would not leave them as orphans. He would send them the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise that every true believer has. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 reminds us that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Jesus tells us about this Holy Spirit in John 15, 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Similarly, in John 16, 13, Jesus tells us that the spirit of truth will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Jesus reminds us in these passages that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus, proclaiming and reminding us of Jesus' words. He doesn't speak independently on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. This is crucial in understanding how the apostles, of which John is one, came to write the scriptures. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21 tells us about that. It says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is telling us here in 1 John 4 that there is such a thing as truth and error and that Christians can tell the difference. This flies, flies in the face of postmodern culture. In our culture, people get uneasy with absolute truth claims. Truth is relative. It may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Let's boil that down for a little bit. Boil that down and we discover that what this really means is that people in our culture today are driven primarily by their feelings. What feels good becomes truth. But here's the real truth. If you just listen to your feelings, you will believe every spirit that sounds good, that makes you feel good, even if it is not biblical. False spirits do not care about your heart. In fact, they will manipulate you into denying Christ. False spirits do not care about glorifying Christ. They only care about your destruction. And they will lie to you and make you feel right even when Jesus is denied. But Jesus, by contrast, doesn't manipulate us. He sends us the spirit of truth. You see, every generation has its own false spirits and sets of heresies. But the Holy Spirit is with us and has been ever since Pentecost. And he gives discernment to his people. He prevails over them, over the one who is in the world. Unfortunately, we are far too easily pleased by false spirits and the heresies they produce today. Because heresies often promise things that, well, we want. Consider just a few prevalent ones today and their implications. There is the all paths lead to God heresy. Surely as Christians, we don't believe that, right? But aren't we just a little bit tempted to believe that this is true when we fail to preach to others the need for Jesus Christ? Don't we placate our consciences thinking that they are, well, generally good people, and so we keep our mouths shut, thinking that somehow they'll make it through to the end? Isn't that tantamount to watching people, uh, watching people who follow a false spirit die slowly without Christ? Or consider the, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church heresy. How do we then reconcile the fact that Christ calls the church his bride? Are we not tempted by our conveniences and missing out on the opportunity to speak the truth in love to a brother or sister who needs us to be a means of grace at that moment? There are, of course, many other heresies of our age, and some are very old. Particularly common is the permissive Jesus who just loves people but isn't their Lord. Or the prosperity heresy where God just wants his children to be happy, wealthy, and, and healthy. And so it is right to pause and ask, are you believing the right spirit? Are there ways in which you may be believing a false spirit? And of course, it begs the question, how do you tell the difference? 
Well, that brings us to point number two. We must test the spirits. John says that we can tell by looking at two things. We can look at, first, what they say about Jesus or the Christological test. And we can look at who celebrates them, what I'm calling the resonance test. First, the Christological test. John states this test first positively, then negatively. Let's look at uh, verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3 says it in the negative. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John says that the main test of the spirit is a Christological one. Now, John is not just making this stuff up. Rather, he's basing his test on the comprehensive and faithful witness of the Holy Spirit. He's saying this, if indeed the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus and he does not speak on his own authority, then the Spirit of God, the one who was present, the one who was intimately involved in Jesus' conception, and who is also called the Spirit of Truth, will always faithfully and truthfully attest to the fact that Jesus is Christ come in the flesh, just as the person who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit will also confess. In fact, it's the same argument that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12.3. He says this, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's take a closer look and note a few things about this confession. The first is its content. The text makes very plain that the incarnation of Jesus is an important part. You see, John was countering against a, a prevalent heresy at the time called Docetism, which taught that Christ was not really incarnate in Jesus. Rather, they taught that this Christ, a divine power, descended upon the man Jesus at his baptism and withdrew from him just before his death. Let's imagine for a moment if this indeed were true. What would be some of the implications? If Jesus were not fully man and fully God, then he did not really learn obedience and suffer as a man. He only appeared to be doing so. And if his suffering was not real, then his death also was not real, which means that sin is not really atoned. And it means that Hebrews 4.15 is not true. We don't have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us and who intercedes for us. That's pretty scary indeed. John rejects this completely. Theologian John Stott writes this, quote, It was not that the Christ came into the flesh of Jesus, but that Jesus was the Christ come in the flesh. The second thing to note about this confession is its nature. John is not merely referring to lip service. In this confession, after all, even the demons recognize the deity of, of, uh, of Jesus. 
Rather, the stress here is of a wholehearted, a sincere conviction that evidences the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, notice that John does not say that we ought to test false prophets by their works or their, uh, or their behavior. Coming back to the story about the spiritual center for dynamic living, here is what's particularly insidious. They were nice people. They did many of the things that we do. They would gather on a Sunday around the same time. They would sing. They would hear sermons. They would read and discuss books in small groups. There were community acts of love, care for one another, even the offering of prayer support. Perhaps most frightening of all, they would sing many of the same songs that evangelicals would sing. I remember one Hillsong's chorus that was popular at the time called The Power of Your Love. You know, when Christians sing this, we instinctively associate the words your and Lord with Jesus. But a closer examination of the song's lyrics reveal that nowhere does it actually mention the name Jesus, making it, of course, the perfect candidate for this New Age group. Actions alone do not attest authenticity, nor does appearance. You know, the majority of the time, well, at least before QAnon came around, false teachers do not wear devil's horns on their head. They don't wear name tags that say, hi, my name is cult leader. This echoes what Jesus warns us about in Matthew 7.15, that false prophets come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. It is ultimately what makes them so insidious. And it's the reason why John, the, the elder pastor at this point, is so concerned for the church. We are instead to test them by their message. And this is seen even more clearly in the way that the negative version of the test in verse 3 is stated. John did not say that every spirit that denies Jesus, rather only that Jesus, as, as Christ come in the flesh, is not confessed. This has very practical implications even today because often heretical teaching disguises itself, disguises its deviations simply by neglecting, by failing to affirm important biblical truths. Rather than proclaiming Jesus is not the Christ, they simply fail to affirm that he is the Christ. Well, we move on to the resonance test in verses 5 through 6. Again, the test is stated in contrast. And it's summed up by the words, they and we. They refers to the false prophets who are in the world, who are from the world, rather. And we refers to the true teachers, more specifically, the apostles. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Some of you know that I play the violin, and the violin can sound beautiful when, uh, because it is designed to resonate when played. The wood 
And the body of the violin celebrates, it echoes, it rings and sings the frequencies of the strings that are played. John is proposing a test that asks, in essence, who celebrates? Who resonates with this teaching? Who is the audience? Who follows? He simply is making the logical conclusion that if false prophecies originate from demonic spirits and the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world already, then those who find them appealing will be the people of the world. And similarly, those who have the Holy Spirit will resonate and celebrate the message of God. And John is claiming, in essence, that you can tell God's message because, well, God's people will listen to it, resonate with it, celebrate it. This concurs with what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, when he asserted that he is the great shepherd and that the sheep follow and know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. But doesn't it, if we really think about this for a second, seem rather arrogant for John to claim, to claim this? But John isn't speaking as an individual. Rather, he is speaking on borrowed authority. You see, he understood his unique role in the history of the church as an apostle, as an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. And likewise, as we speak today from the word of God, we also speak on borrowed authority, the borrowed authority of the inspired word of God. And that brings us to the question of then, how do we apply these tests today? How do we apply these tests today? Well, if you are a Christian, you can apply these tests. Here are some, few, uh, some practical ways. First, we must know the word. Read your Bible. Really get to know the Jesus of the Bible. And second, test this teaching Test teaching. Does it line up with Scripture? You know, there is a lot of bad Bible teaching out there as well. Test specifically. What does this teaching say about Jesus? Does it attest to and glorify that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Does it present Jesus as the only way? is what is taught consistent with what the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in the Bible? Do you resonate with this teaching, causing you to delight in him, to worship him, and to praise him more? Third, consider when you listen. Sorry, consider what you listen and take into your heart. Sometimes this means what we literally listen to, you know, podcasts and such or what we read, but also whether we believe the lies that Satan throws at us in the weakness of our flesh. Ask yourself this, if I appropriate this message, what am I bringing into my heart? Does it honor Jesus? Will it cause me to glorify Jesus as I appropriate this teaching? Does it take you further into Jesus or further away from him? Does this teaching cause you to glorify him in your word and speech? 
or does it cause you to glory more in yourself? John calls us to persevere in applying these things, to persevere in faith and to prevail over false spirits, which brings us to our third and final point. We must prevail over the false spirits. We must prevail over the false spirits. We must prevail over them because we are to persevere to the end. False spirits will lead us to eternal death, whereas this, the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, will lead us to life. Recall 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. But John isn't saying that we must do this on our own strength. Take a look at verse 4. He says this, Little children, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Notice how gentle, gentle John's language is here. Little children. God is not asking us to prevail over false spirits on our own. Quite plainly, he knows we can't. If we could, Jesus and the cross wouldn't be necessary. Little children implies that we need our Father. We need our Father to hold us, to love us, to care for us, to walk with us, to walk us into the right direction. And so as a good Father, he gives us what we need. First, by sending his son Jesus to be born of flesh, to be born of flesh and blood, to walk on this earth as a human being, to experience suffering, to be crucified on the cross for our sake. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But having stood in our place, atoning for our sin, and dying the death we deserved, Jesus did not simply stay dead. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, that death is swallowed up in victory. You see, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead after three days, declaring victory over death. And in Romans 8, 11, this same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, now dwells in you. Do you think we need to fear false spirits if this is true? God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us that we might know truth from error, true spirit from false, constantly turning and tuning our affections, tuning our heart back to Jesus. In other words, not believing false spirits and believing the true spirit is not just a matter of our intellect. It's a matter of the heart. It's not merely what we know, but a matter of who we know. He has overcome death. And by his spirit, we will also overcome the one who is in this world. I want to close by revisiting the story of the bridge 
now Christ City Kids, and the Spiritual Center for Dynamic Living. On the surface, the Spiritual Center looked identical to the bridge. Yet to one beloved member of our congregation who is with us to this day, Jesus, as Christ come in the flesh, made all of the difference. In fact, we were known to the other group as the Jesus Freaks, That's all we seem to talk about to them. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I still remember the day when Della walked into the bridge. She looked lost. In fact, she will tell you that she was actually looking for the other group when she walked in, wandered in, bumped into this small welcoming committee, also known as the Ng family. Despite our tendency at the time to overdo the welcome, we were a small church after all, she stayed. And at the bridge, she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached from the word, which was written by the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And this spirit opened her eyes and she believed. But this was no coincidence. This was no accident. This was the hand of God calling his little child, drawing her to overcome the one who is in this world. And now she is truly flourishing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus who came as a human being to live a life of obedience, to live a life and experience life as a human being, even in this fallen world, that he might be crucified for our sin. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God of the Father interceding for us. Thank you for the spirit of truth that dwells in our hearts, that reminds us of what Jesus said while he was on earth. Thank you that it inspired the apostles to write this down, that we may have the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient scriptures that we might know your revealed will. Thank you that as we read the scriptures, we resonate with it and we know that it is true because your Holy Spirit reminds us that it is true, tells us that it is true. Well, Father, I pray for all of us, for your people, that you would give us the discernment to be able to test the spirits of this world, to test teaching so that we might be able to discern truth from error. Father, we desire, we desire to persevere to the end. We know that when we are given and indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that we need not fear the spirit of this world. For you will help us to persevere. You have overcome the one who is in this world. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that 
in the day-to-day moments, in the hour-by-hour moments of our lives. As Satan attacks us with lies, as the spirit of this world uh, continues on with its lies and heresies, that you would give us uh, the ability to recognize and to overcome and to know the truth that we might that we might carry on that we might be faithful to you and that we might glorify and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that is in dire need of you thank you for this great truth for your salvation and for never letting us go in Jesus name amen <laughs>